The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I am your host, and I'm just so glad that you're listening with us today. I know we've got listeners across the U.S., we've got listeners in Canada, and I met a new listener in Canada this weekend, so welcome. We've got listeners in Ireland and uh, sometimes in New Zealand, and I'm not sure where else, but uh, let us know where you're listening from. We'd be glad to hear from you, and we're just uh, very grateful that you're participating and glad that you're with us. Visit our Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook and uh, see what we've got on there and post on our wall and let us know what you're thinking about. Thank you so much for letting your friends know about this program and for letting the people that are in your recovery circle and in your unity community know about the spirit of recovery. It's wonderful that uh, we're reaching out and broadcasting here on Unity Online Radio on the topic of recovery and spirituality. And it's wonderful to hear from you, our listeners, and to know how this is opening up your heart, getting you thinking, and opening you up to some new experience, strength, and hope, and some new ideas and practices for your spirituality and your recovery journey. And here on The Spirit of Recovery, every week we're talking about topics that are important to the recovery community, and we always have guests who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable, and who are innovative. Our guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who are working with recovering people, or writing for recovering people, or a lot of times all three. And uh, they're bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. And here at the Spirit of Recovery, we are a welcoming place. We know that recovery has lots of room and uh, lots of different kinds of people are in lots of different phases and aspects of recovery, and everybody is welcome here. So if you're in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member that is in your own recovery as a family member, or if you're a family member or a friend of somebody with the disease of addiction, whether you or they are in recovery or not, and you're just looking for some information and for some inspiration, or if you're simply somebody that wants to know more about the process of recovery, you're just curious, we welcome you here and we welcome your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I am your Spirit of Recovery host. I am a Unity Minister, and I'm trained in addictions counseling. And also, I'm a person that has in my own circle of love and friendship a lot of people with the disease of addiction. And almost 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development. And ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life and it keeps me growing and uh, keeps me opening up in new ways to a, a greater quality of life. So I'm very delighted to be able to share these ideas with you and to bring you wonderful guests as well as to hear what you, our listeners, are experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery. We've got a book to give away today, as we do every week, and our books are donated 
to us by the nonprofit Hazelden Foundation, and that website is www.hazelden, and that's H-A-Z-E-L-D-E-N, dot org. And we thank Hazelden Foundation for donating our books. And our book today is Connections, The Threads That Strengthen Families. That's by Jean Owsley Clark. And if you'd like to get in the drawing for that book, you can email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. Or call in at 888-558-6489, and that's 888-55-UNITY, and just let us know to put you in the drawing, and we'll do that. Uh, and last week, our book went to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Olympia, Washington, and they are beginning an addictions ministry, and we applaud them for that, and they uh, received our book from last week. So today, our topic is Families. What's love got to do with it? It's the holidays, and it's families, and we're excited, and we're happy, and also sometimes we can get a little bit stressed about that concept of holidays and the families. Families are wonderful, and they can also push our buttons, and we probably push theirs. So today I have joining me a wonderful guest who knows a lot about families, uh, both from her professional experience as well as her personal experience. My guest is Dr. Fran Williams. She's a psychologist. She's an educator. She's a clinician. She has worked extensively with families in recovery, with families that were wanting to be in recovery, with people who are recovering from addiction, and uh, she's definitely helps them and helps them in many ways to work with their family dynamics so that healing can begin to come to that family. She also has her own experiences in a family that has the disease of addiction. She's got lots of wisdom from that. She's got lots of warmth. She's got lots of humor. Something that she may not let you know today, but I'm going to squeal on her, is that she also has a gorgeous singing voice, uh, which is trained and absolutely beautiful, and I know actually is a part of the healing process for many people, is that gift of song and that gift of music. So, Fran, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your experience with us. Glad that you're here. Well, thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your show. This is a very uh, true privilege for me. Well, we're glad that you're here. And um, I know that you've, uh, as I said, you've got lots of experience, uh, personal experience and and uh, ex- professional experience with families. So uh, tell us a little bit about this concept of, of addiction being a family disease. We say that a lot, but I don't know. Maybe people don't really know what that means or it probably means different things to different people. Anna, I think you're probably right. It means different things to different people. When we talk about addiction as a family disease, what we really mean by that is that the disease of addiction and the nature of the disease itself is such that it influences and impacts an individual biologically, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. And Mm -hmm. not only does it affect the individual who has some type of an addictive disorder, but it affects and impacts all of the loved ones that are involved with that person. So the loved ones would include family members. Um, There's kind of an old saying in family therapy that no one escapes an addictive family without some kind of impact, uh, long-lasting psychological, emotional, or relational impact um, that comes to bear on them and on their lives. And so for that reason, we tend to think of this disease as a family disease, although most of our models, interestingly enough, treat this using various types of individual therapy um, approaches to the treatment and to the recovery efforts um, of the suffering addict. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, a family disease. Right. So when somebody is recovering from addiction, what are some of the things that are important for them to know about uh, communicating with their families? 
For the addict, I think it is important first and foremost to have a lot of patience with the rest of the family. Because as I have said many times in my work, from the codependent point of view, from the point of view of being an individual uh, who grew up in a family where there, were, there was active addiction, both my parents were active um, addicts, um, and from that point of view, I look at this disease through the lens of codependency. Quite frequently, after a person has gone through treatment to become sober, um, or has done some, made some kind of effort to uh, get away from whatever their drug of choice is. Sometimes people go to meetings. Um, sometimes people go to treatment. There's a variety of ways that people accomplish um, getting clean and sober. I think what's important for the addict to know is that family members are not automatically on the same page as the addict is once the addict has gotten sober, perhaps gone through treatment, found some home groups, found ways to begin the process of approaching day-to-day life uh, without the use of some type of an addictive process, a psychoactive substance, or any of a host of cross-addictions. It's important for the addict to know that family members, loved ones, significant others, friends, we don't get it. Mm-hmm. We don't get where you've been. Mm-hmm. And we may have always proclaimed that we wanted nothing more than for you to be clean and sober. But what we don't know is that we got used to you the way you were while you were using when you were in your disease. That's the person we related to. And little did we know that when we were relating to you, we really weren't relating to you at all. We were relating to your disease. So we're still in that place until we ourselves start our own recovery process. I think that's an important thing for addicts to know. We don't get it. You have a beautiful story about uh, when you first got it. Would you tell us that one? Oh, okay. Well, all right. Um, Anna, you were saying a, a few moments ago that 30 years ago you started your recovery journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I probably fought recovery for 30 years. Uh, uh-huh. the, very, the very first time I ever heard of the 12 steps, the very first time I ever heard the serenity, actually, all right, I'll have to back this up. The very first time I heard the serenity prayer, I will never forget this, um, I was 17 years old. Uh-huh. And I was overhearing a conversation that my father was having with my mother. And mm-hmm. it was concerning his mother. Now, we didn't know his mother very well because she lived out of state, but she was a career alcoholic. And um, so we, we never really had her to the house much during my growing up years, and I really never got to know her. But she died when I was about 17 years old. And during the period of time, the last few months of her life, she moved from Florida, where she had lived almost all of her life, up to a nursing home in Minneapolis that was close to where we lived. And my father went over and visited her on a regular basis. One time, I remember him coming home from a visit with his mother, and he was repeating to my mother the prayer he read that was on a plaque, written in a pl- on a plaque, and was on the wall of her room at the nursing home. Mm. And it was the serenity prayer. And I remember the tone of voice that he had with, when he was explaining this prayer to my mother. It was this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change 
the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's the inflection I remember coming wow. from his voice. I was 17 mm-hmm. when I heard that. I was 19 when I first heard about the 12 steps and I heard about step one. I was 53 when I took a look at the 12 steps and especially step one, which I really did not like. And, right. Well, I'm a good... I'm step one. Yeah. Tell us what step one would mean to a family member and what was it that was keeping you away from it? Why didn't you like it? I didn't like the whole business about, oh, let's see. Uh, I didn't like the business about powerless over alcohol. I didn't like the idea that our lives had become unmanageable. The only problem in my life was my parents drinking, and if they would straighten up, my life would be just fine. Mm Mm-hmm. And I stayed parked behind that idea for a long time. And I was 53 when I took another look at the 12 steps mm-hmm. and thought about them in terms of what do these steps have for me. Right. And the way that happened was um, it's a powerful story. It's a touching story. Um, I, don't, I hope it won't be too disturbing for people. Um, I will try not to make it too graphic, but... Um, as I have learned, most of, the small, most of the powerful lessons in recovery come from people in incidental ways, mm-hmm. very humble and incidental ways, and that's what this one was. Um, it was in April, and I was at the... Um, it was opening weekend for the Minnesota Twins. My family and I are big baseball fans, and so we had tickets for opening weekend, and I went to the baseball game with my husband, my nephew, and my nephew's girlfriend, and we had really good seats right behind home plate. Um, and, you know, we're just enjoying the baseball game, and long about the seventh inning, about, oh, I'd say five or six rows in front of me, there was this flurry of activity followed by people evacuating their seats. And I couldn't quite tell at first what was going on, but then once they kind of evacuated their seats, then I had a clear view and I could see what was going on. And what was happening is there was a man that was about, oh, I'd say five or six rows in front of me, directly in front of me who had gotten sick, and he had thrown up on himself. Mm -hmm. And um, I I remember when I first saw it, and I I could kind of see that he had gotten sick on himself, and I kind of went, oh, like, oh, he's, he's intoxicated, and he threw up. And what I remember is the things that the people around him who had evacuated their seats, what they were saying to this guy. You know, lots and lots of just very antagonistic um, messages, you know, attacks, verbal attacks, um, a lot of profanity, um, name-calling. They were just, um, they were just discouraging this guy with their words. And at that point in my life, I had been working for two years in a residential treatment center. Um, so I, I, was starting, I, I was starting to change my attitudes a little bit by then. But it was that man in that moment that really, for me, created what I think of as, as my bottom and my beginning to start working the steps. Because I'm looking at this guy, and I could tell from where I was sitting and where he was sitting, I could feel his humiliation. And one way I could feel it was that as he had gotten sick on himself, he had gotten on his hand. And he took his, his left hand and started wiping it on his jeans and then started rubbing his jeans, rubbing and rubbing his jeans, trying to make it go away. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at this. I had, Like I said, I hope this isn't too disgusting for your listeners. I just remember, remember looking at this thinking, this is what addicts do. 
This is what every addict does in the moment of their of their in the deepest moments of their illness. They simply try to make the illness disappear so that they can continue to have a place to sit with other people in their lives. And there wasn't one person, not one single person that scattered who offered any assistance to that man. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I'm mean, looking at this just transfixed as this thing is unfolding in front of me. And I realized, I, you know, what I realized in that moment is, had it not been for the treatment center that I was working at at the time that really saved my life, I would have been leading the parade of people who were hissing at him and calling him names and, you know, basically verbally assaulting an intoxicated individual who really has no viable means of um, defending himself because right. the, the alcohol itself would impair his ability to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, it was like, it was such a powerful moment. And so at that point, I went and went over to the bathroom and got some towels and brought them back. But by the time I got back, the security people had, had removed him. But I will never, ever, ever forget that. Because that, to me, was my bottom and my recognition of, in some ways, the cruel judgment and aspersions um, that I'm certainly capable of casting upon um, a person, an addict, who is um, in the throes of their illness. And it was at that point I uh, actually started to do some work and get to meetings on a regular basis and find a sponsor and work steps and uh, get off my high horse and start looking at my own arrogance. And um, You know, some days... Some days I do a better job of it than other days, but <laughs> it was that it was that man who who really uh, really uh, changed changed my my life, and I never had a chance to see him again or thank him. But I always think that that's what happens in in our lives in recovery is that there are these little angels walking around um, in our meetings. Um, my gosh. I, I sometimes on city streets where I know there's a lot of recovery going on, uh, you know, there'll be people there that'll come up to me and say something, you know. That's and incredible. It's, it's so powerful. Yeah, that's a, that, thank you, Fran. What, that's an incredible, incredible testament to the power of spirit. Uh, we're oh, going to take a short I, break. We're going to take a short break right now, but when we come back, we're going to hear some more about that. You're going to, I know you've got lots of other stories about the gifts that come from the really the most unexpected places, and, and that is okay. what it's all about. So um, when we come back, we'll start with the Serenity Minute, which is just a brief moment to focus on a constructive thought. And then my guest, Dr. Fran Williams, and I are going to keep talking about families, what's love got to do with it. We're going to be hearing some more of those God moments. So call us at 888-55-UNITY or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And uh, come back. We'll put your name in the drawing for the book or make a comment or question, whatever you've got for Fran. We'd be happy to hear it. We'll be back in just a moment. Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. As Unity FM continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today at www.unity.fm. A light shines in the silent Unity cupola 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. A light that represents 120 years of continuous prayer and stories of blessings received. Everyone has a prayer story, be it healing, prosperity, peace, or personal transformation. Here is one such story. 
When my life fell apart, Silent Unity became my lifeline. I'm eternally grateful to everyone who prayed with me, sent me notes of encouragement and support, and held me in prayer for 30 days at a time. For more about Silent Unity's 120th anniversary and to request a free CD titled Timeless Prayers from Silent Unity, visit www.silentunity.org and click on the link. Have a blessed day. You're invited to join host Pamela Whitman for The Miracle Revolution, a program featuring music and guided meditations and teachings from A Course in Miracles. Pamela will share how we can return your mind to the one solution that already exists to all of our perceived problems. God has already given us everything. As we remember that we are joined, we claim the miracles that are waiting to be perceived. The Miracle Revolution, Mondays at 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world, and on 91.7 WLFR Pomona, New Jersey, on Mondays from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to the Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is families. What's love got to do with it? We're talking about the family dynamics and families uh, in addiction and in recovery, and especially about families at the holidays. My guest today is Dr. Fran Williams. She's a psychologist and educator and a clinician and um, has lots of experience professionally and personally with the recovery process. And she's been sharing with us some beautiful stories about how God shows up in recovery and how God works through angels that we might not think are angels, uh, but they really are. Uh, but before Fran and I continue our conversation, take a moment with me as we have a serenity minute. It's just a moment to relax, to focus on a constructive thought, and to let ourselves be refreshed by the spirit within. So I invite you right now to join me in focusing on this constructive thought. I let my heart open to and receive my higher powers' gifts of love. This holiday is a good one. It's a time of love because I choose to let love in during this holiday. I let my heart open to and receive my higher powers' gifts of love. This holiday is a good one for me. It's a time of love. Because this holiday, I choose to let love in. Thank you for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that you are refreshed, that you've taken a moment to get in touch with that presence and that power that lives in you, through you, and as you that spirit of good, your higher power. So now we're back with my guest, Dr. Fran Williams, and we're talking about families. What's love got to do with it? And this is a great time to give us a call or send us an email. You can call us at 888-55-UNITY or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. You can have a comment or question for Fran, or also uh, we're happy to put your name in. We're drawing for our book, and our book today, donated by Hazelden Foundation, is called Connections, The Threads That Strengthen Families, and it's by Jean Islesley Clark. So if you'll contact us, um, you don't have to have a question or comment, but we'll put your name in for the drawing, or we'd be happy to have your um, comments. And our lines are open, so give us a call or an email now. 
So, Fran, back to your stories. You had a wonderful story before the break about when you hit your bottom and when you started to get some compassion and some understanding about this disease. And um, yes. I know you've got some more stories. Yes. I, um, I, I guess the way I would say it is my name is Fran and I love addicts. <laughs> All right. And usually in the meeting about this point, everybody says, Hi, Fran. Uh-huh. And I, addicts have always been in my life. I would imagine that I probably was conceived in this disease and have lived in it my whole life in, in one way or another. Um, but most of my life has been filled with uh and I'm not proud to say this, um, but it's true. Um, bitterness, anger, resentment, and downright contempt towards the addicts in my life who were closest to me, um, who were suffering, but I didn't see the suffering for a long time. And it was because of my, the, the impact of this disease on myself and, and my own vision um, or my own view of what was happening, that I could not for a long time um, see the addict, um, the addicts in my life and what was happening with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the piece that I think is slowly, a day at a time, changing. Right. And uh, so a lot of the work I do now, I, I think of um, as living amends. Mm-hmm. For sort of the harshest, the, the harsh judgments I had on um, addicts at earlier times in my life, and those are namely my parents, because those my parents were my first teachers. Right. They they were my mentors, as it turns out, and I never I never really thought about that, or certainly didn't in a conscious way know that until I was into my fifties, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and could start taking a first, you know, a real viable first step for myself. Right. Addiction can be, I mean, it is such a brutal disease and it's hard for family members when when all the different things are going on, uh, the way that the disease takes the addict down and all the behaviors that come with it, the aggression, the violence, the lack of responsibility and all the different things that happen. It's hard for family members to, to see that the person's suffering. And yet... That, that is very true, Anna, and um, that, and yet at the same time, I have found if we look hard enough, we can sometimes find a filament of the self that becomes buried alive under the massive layers of this illness and what this illness does to the soul of the person. Right. And, You've got a, um, yeah. Your story and, and about your dad at Christmas. About my dad. Oh, Shows yeah. that, I think. It's amazing. Well, I do, I do have a Christmas story, and I didn't think of it as a Christmas story until more recent years. But um, each year that goes by, I, I cherish it more as my Christmas story and my Christmas gift. Um, it actually took place in uh, December of 1973. And I was, um, I was a young adult at that time. I actually was a nurse. I, I was a nurse before I was a psychologist. So I was working as a nurse, and I lived in my own apartment, and I was supporting myself, and um, I was on my own. Mm-hmm. My parents, as I said, were career alcoholics, and um, I, I knew that well. I'd been living with them. I absolutely knew who they were and what their patterns of drinking were and where drinking took them, and um, I was as sick as they were, and so I didn't pay any attention to what I knew and would, as many uh, children of alcoholics do, put myself in harm's way with little regard to what uh, the consequences consequences could be for me, um, and certainly not looking at um, how my enabling my parents' behavior was um, harmful to them. But anyway, um, this particular Saturday evening in December, it was in 1973, it was a, 
oh, maybe two weeks before the holidays. And um, it was a Saturday evening, about 6 o'clock in the evening. I had some place I needed to go, um, and I was... I, I had a little time to kill, so I went to, I stopped by my parents' house, 6 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. Well, you know what's going on at 6 o'clock at night on Saturday night in an alcoholic's home. Right. You know, martini time. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, but I went in anyway. And, uh, of course, they were both intoxicated. And my father came up to me and said to me, motioned to me to follow him. Come here, come here, come here, he said. And I said, well, where are we going? Well, never mind, never mind. Just come here, come here. This typical alcoholic behavior. So what did I do as a dutiful, untreated uh, child of an alcoholic? I went with him. Mm-hmm. And he goes out to the garage gets behind the wheel of the car and motions for me to get in the car, so I got in the car. What else would an untreated adult child of an alcoholic do? Now, of course, you know where we're going, don't you? Mm -hmm. I can guess. We're going going to the liquor store. We're not going to the bar because alcoholics are at the bar. We're going to the liquor store. This is the way he thought. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're going to the liquor store. And um, I walk into this liquor store that my dad has gone to forever. He knows everybody there. Everybody there knows him. And he's walking in, and he's kind of staggering because he's drunk. And he's got this big grocery cart. I don't know if um, how many listeners were around in 1973, but I swear to you, the grocery carts were a lot bigger then than they are now. <laughs> and... <laughs> So anyway, he started to take bottles of booze off the shelf and put them into the grocery cart one by one. He'd walk down an aisle, see something he wanted, take it off the shelf and stick it in his grocery cart. And starting with the first bottle that he took off the shelf, he engaged in this ritual. And what it was is he took a bottle off the shelf and put it in his grocery cart, he stopped, he turned and looked at me, and I'm walking behind him at this point because I'm embarrassed now, you know. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said to me, in his drunken blackout, he said, whatever you do with your life, don't do this. Wow. And then then he took a few more steps. I swear to God, he did this. And then he took another bottle off the shelf, Mm -hmm. put it in his grocery cart, Mm -hmm. stopped, looked at me, and repeated the same thing again as if he hadn't just said it. Whatever you do with your life, get out of this. Don't do this. And we walked all the way through the liquor store, and he piled bottles of of booze into Mm -hmm. that cart. And then we went to the checkout counter. And he started unloading his cart. This is December of 1973, and I can still remember. He wrote a check for $550. Wow. In 1973, that was a lot of money mm-hmm. for liquor. You know, and you might argue that maybe he was stocking up for the holidays because we always had big holiday parties. Um, I'm guessing he probably made another trip or two to the store to the liquor store before the holidays ever got there. But what I remember standing there when he went to write the check for $550 is he stopped, he looked at me, and he said it one last time, whatever you do with your life, don't do this. Mm. And then he wrote the check. Mm -hmm. We went out, packed all that booze in the car, drove home, and, of course, it was never talked about again. Right, And I, I never really forgot it, but I mm-hmm. never really thought about it mm-hmm. until after I had that sort of um, bottoming at the baseball game. And then I revisited that memory, and it was at that point I realized what that man had done for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still chokes me up to talk about it now. What that that man did for me, what was going on with him in in his mind at that point 
And I truly believe at that point, not only did he know he was an addict, but he knew how advanced his disease was. It was still going to take him another 25 years before the disease was going to kill him. But he was hopeless. He did not believe there was hope for him. And so he was passing a baton to me. Right. And that's the incredible paradox of of the, our humanity and the dis, and the disease and of the addiction disease. it's like they they're side by side and you know i saw that same behavior in addicts over and over and over again in the years that i subsequently then worked in inpatient treatment with addicts in very very early recovery where their lives would be unraveling and they could barely put one foot in front of the other because they were angry and confused and thirsty and, um, you know, jonesing for their drug of choice. And yet I would see them commit some act of kindness towards someone else that they thought of as a little bit worse off than they were. Right. And yeah. Right out of right out of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, Absolutely. he talked about that. He talked about that in there. You know, what, what draws upon the human spirit to commit an act of kindness for another person when they themselves are suffering. And I've seen that over and over with addicts. And my father gave me the most incredible gift that day in the form of permission to break free. I, I, I will, I mean, it's just, I, and I truly hope, I truly hope that when I see him again, the next time I see him, I will have done what he'd asked me to do and done it in a way that he could be proud of. Absolutely. That's a beautiful yeah. story, Fran. Thank you. Yeah. And it's that, that, again, you said in the depths of, of the, kind of the worst things that can be happening to us as human beings, there really is, there's still that. There's still the compassion, there's still the humanity, yeah. there's still the there's spirit. There's the humanity. Yeah, when we, are, when we are dealing with an addict who is active in their disease, when we talk to them and they to us, the only thing we're talking to is their illness. Mm-hmm. And we don't recognize that because we have grown accustomed to how they are, how they operate, the way, the, the way they interact. We've grown accustomed to it, and we think that what we see and what we hear is the person. The person is buried under layers and layers of this illness. All we are talking to is a disease. Right. They, they open their mouths, and the disease comes out. Right. So we have to pre- listen pretty closely to... To, and look pretty closely to see that person that's in there somewhere, and and uh, trust that that somehow spirits at work, at least uh, in some ways, and that we can find ourselves. Well, and yeah, that there are mm-hmm. filaments of that person that will sometimes shine through. But all of that being said, when we start to think about, okay, it's the holidays, and it's a for many people, it's a time when families get together and celebrate, and that means there's going to be, you know, the drugs of choice there. What does that mean? What does that mean for those of us who are working towards recovery and sobriety? Does it mean that we go and just put up and shut up? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Mm-hmm. What it means instead is that we have, we have to think in terms of what lengths are we willing to go to protect and defend our own recoveries. That the most important thing that we can do in interacting with people we love who have this illness is to think of safety first. Beautiful. To to think of what do I need to do to keep myself safe and what do I need to do for my recovery. And if I have children... What do I need to do for them? Right. That's beautiful. 
We're getting ready to go uh, to break right now. And, Fran, when we come back, we've got a caller on the line when we come back. And we've also got an emailer, Great. so we'll hear from them what Great. their comments and questions are. So thank you so much for uh, that thank beautiful you. story. So we'll be right back. And uh, call us during the break or uh, call us when we come back to the third segment. We'll be right back with Spirit of Recovery. listening to Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Reverend Ellen Devonport, author of The Five Principles and host of Absolute Living on Unity Online Radio. And I'm Reverend Carla McClellan, manager of retreats and workshops at Unity Village. And we want to talk to you about God. We're planning a retreat at Unity Village the first weekend in April, specifically to talk about our changing concepts of the divine as we grow and mature spiritually. Some people may be questioning their beliefs. Some might even be afraid they've become atheists. But it's all part of a healthy spiritual process that Unity supports. You're invited to join us on April 1st through 3rd at Unity Village as we explore God for Grown-Ups. We have planned a fabulous three-day experience where you can rediscover your understanding of God in a safe environment with like-minded people. When you join us for this retreat, you'll not only hear Ellen Devonport speak, but you'll participate in prayer partnerships, journaling, and meditation on the beautiful grounds at Unity Village. And of course, you can experience the renewal of spirit that comes with every Unity retreat. We've also planned a panel discussion with Unity ministers who don't always see eye-to-eye on spiritual topics, but that's part of a God for Grown-Ups. To reserve your space in this powerful retreat, go to unityvillage.org and click on Retreat slash Events or call us at 866-34-UNITY. That's 866-348-6489. We'll see you at Unity Village in the spring. Can business and spirituality coexist in today's competitive marketplace? Is it possible to apply spiritual principles to the business world? How do we inspire and motivate employees in a complex, constantly changing work environment? Dr. Charlotte Shelton and her co-host Jim Blake discuss spiritual principles in the workplace each week on Good Business. Tune in to learn what business leaders are doing to allow spirit to guide their business practices. Call in with your thoughts and questions on how to bring these two practices together. It's Good Business every Monday at 4 p.m. Central Time right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is families. What's love got to do with it? We're talking about families in recovery um, and the addiction process, um, especially during the holidays. My guest is Dr. Fran Williams, who is a psychologist, an educator, a clinician, and who knows a lot about this disease and about recovery from it as a family member um, in her own personal experience. So we have a caller, and uh, let's put our caller on, and uh, he's got a question. Okay, caller. Hey, hi, Ann, and hi, Hello. Dr. Williams. And this is Jay. Uh, in my, I believe. Yes. Welcome. Thanks in for Minneapolis. calling. Minneapolis. All right. Good deal. Yeah, my, my question is, if, if you uh, encounter someone, a family, who has just learned that they have a family member that has an addiction issue, you know, an alcoholism problem or any addiction problem, is there, you know, a basic book, a basic primer that you can recommend to them that they can go home, you know, and learn all about addiction and, and its effect on families and so on. Um, yes, hi, Jay. Thanks for calling. Um, 
there are a number of books that are beloved in the field. And I'm sure that anybody that you would talk to would have um, their favorites that they would recommend. Um, certainly one that is out there right now that is just outstanding and outstandingly written is written by Stephanie Brown, and that's entitled An Alcoholic Family in Recovery. Stephanie Brown, B-R-O-W-N, An Alcoholic Family in Recovery. And she mm-hmm. does just the most gorgeous job in that book of understanding from a very compassionate place not only what's happening with the alcoholic or the addict, but what's happening with each of the family members. And she can really, in her writing, weave together a lot of bridges between various members of the family and the addict and what has happened, um, how the disease has ruptured relationships, relationships and um, what kinds of repair can take place. Um, my, my absolute favorite book in, that, in this whole field that I've ever read is an older book. I'm not sure if it's still in print, but I'm sure you can still find it. Um, and I, I think you could probably get it through Amazon.com or even just your public library would be able to get a hold of it. It was printed back in the ni- late 1970s, I believe. The author was Charles Deutsch, D-E-U-T-S-C-H, I believe is the, the way it's spelled, Charles Deutsch. And the title of it is Broken Bottles broken dreams and the book is as the title suggests an incredibly humane and compassionate look um, at the disease of addiction its impact on the person who's affected by the disease and the family members and he does a gorgeous job of writing about interactive repair and how that can take place some of the other some of the other writers. Am I going too fast here for you? I didn't know no. if you were trying to write write things down. Um, some of the other writers that I that are really beloved and very reputable in their field. Certainly, Claudia Black has a number of books out that are just excellent in the subject of alcoholism and substance abuse, psychoactive substance dependence, and its impact on children. Something that I do quite frequently um, is when I'm working with family members and they're first, as you say, you know, first faced with this disease and it's their first encounter and they don't have a lot of information, um, psychoeducation is really the way to go. Because, um, you know, an ounce of information is at that point really worth pounds and pounds and pounds of therapeutic cure types of techniques. Um, you know, just teaching somebody, this is what you're dealing with. This is what it is. This is why it is. This is how it is. This is what you're dealing with. This is what you can do about it. This is where you can let go. But I honestly think one of the things that's very useful for families to do is to read a text that was written for children. Start by reading something that was actually written for children because the way it's written is so clear, so concrete, and uh, just so basic to what this illness is that when you read it from the point of view of a children's book, you can understand some things about that disease that I think can really fly over you know, the top of our heads when we're reading more complicated literature. Um, And Claudia Black has a book that has been out for decades, and that book is um, My Dad Loves Me, My Dad Has a Disease. And it's for children, and it contains a lot of children's art that's very, very useful, very informative to look at, too. Um, But it really explains the disease and the emotional impact that the disease has on children. It also gives you some very nice language to talk with family members, particularly your children, about this disease and what's happening and why it's happening. Um, Janet White. 
Okay. You. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Then, Jay, thanks for calling, and we'll also send you, I know that you are working with families in recovery, so we'll send you the book, uh, Donated by Hazelden, Connections, the Threads that Strengthen Families, and you can add that to your library. Thank you Wonderful. so much for calling. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a couple more books, just in case uh, Jay or anybody else listening would have some interest in it. Sharon, Sharon Wagscheider. Cruise mm-hmm. has a right. book that's been out, oh my gosh, for 30 years at least, and it's still in print, and it's entitled Another Chance. Right. That's a fabulous book. And that's what? a fabulous book. Yes. Well, our time is just you about up. You need to spell up. that so, last name, though. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll put that on the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. I'll get these books, and I'll list them on our Facebook page so that people can find them. Wonderful. Because um, unfortunately, our time is about up. But um, oh my gosh, have you got one one brief word of wisdom? One more brief word of wisdom for the holidays. You've given us so much already. Um, uh, one brief word of wisdom. You know, I it, it isn't my words, but if I've got a minute, I got something in an email today, or no, I'm sorry, just a couple of days ago. And it's, you know, basically a poem. And I wonder if I could I read it. I think we're just about, we're about to go. So I'm afraid we can't do okay. that right now. Okay. But uh, well, thank you so much, Fran. You've given us so much. And thanks to all of you for being on Spirit of Recovery. And join us next week with our guest, Richard Curtis. Thank you. And thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much. I, I wish we had longer, but we'll have you back. We're going to have you back. Well, thank you, Anna. This is wonderful. Yes. It is great, and we'll uh, maybe we'll get your poem on Facebook. I can do that. We can do that. So uh, thank you so much. You've just given us a lot. And um, we know that we'll all have good holidays because we're ready. We're willing to let the love mm-hmm. in. So yes. God bless all of you, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Good parenting doesn't happen by default. It is intentional. It is a decision about who you will be and what you will do in your family life. Join your hosts, Rev. Jennifer and Ogan Holder, each week for Unity Family Matters. Experience the light side of parenting, realizing your divine identity while raising your children to know they are the light of God. Gain insights based on Unity principles, talk with today's prominent experts in spiritual parenting, and address your questions and comments from spiritual perspectives. Unity Family Matters, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Anytime a situation seems confusing or hopeless, most likely I am viewing it from a perspective of human limitation. Instead, I have the innate power to see any circumstance from a spiritual perspective by turning to God in prayer. If I am seeing only problems and not solutions, illness and not wholeness, lack and not abundance, I sit quietly in the silence and reestablish my oneness with God, affirming wisdom, wholeness, and abundance. I begin to see things differently, at one with infinite possibility. I scale the heights of human awareness and view the world as from above. Expressing oneness with God in all that I think, say, and do, I allow my spirit to soar.
This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.